Suppose the government was in charge of shoes, and 40% of all the shoes sold were size 10D. One size dominates the stores. Everyone, men, women, and children, had the same choices. There are a few of the other sizes, but you have to pick from already slim pickings. If it fits you, great. If not, well, golly, that's too bad. There's no way customers would support such a plan. Now, suppose your nutritional choices were determined for you. Eat grains and polyunsaturated oils. Suppose you have diabetes or congestive heart disease or an autoimmune disease. Well, too bad. This is the plan we have now, so TFB. Today's show is a closer look at the USDA nutritional system and why central planning that excludes 40% of the people is not a good plan. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 128. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. My cookbook, Cooking for Comfort, is out and available on Amazon, or you can check it out on culinarylibertarian.com slash cookingforcomfort. Read the introduction and check out some of the reader slash cook submitted photos of dishes they've made. This episode is a look into the USDA nutrition in America and the problems central planning creates, particularly and specifically here, to our human health. Now, I've done some episodes on this in a broader context. I spoke with Luke Tatum from the Culture of Peace podcast on the MyPlate program and how terrible that is. How is it terrible, you may ask? Well, The RDA recommended daily allowances for calories is divided into five categories. Fruits, grains, vegetables, protein, and dairy. The MyPlate image has four sections, like a badly cut pie, and vegetables and grains make up more than half of that plate. That is to say, the USDA recommends Americans get more than half their calories from grains and vegetables. Protein and fruit are the balance of the plate, and off to the right is a cup, a circle, indicating a cup for dairy. Now, you may notice that something's missing. Fat is missing. From the MyPlate USDA standpoint, that is not an accident. I have done at least two other episodes about the MyPlate scheme and I'll link to those on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 128. The MyPlate used to be the food pyramid. Now, as a chef instructor, I taught nutrition class. I read one of the papers I used in that class many years ago. Now, I don't have the date of the page, and the book from that is long gone. Uh, A photocopy 
from the front of this is looks like it's from the Culinary Institute of America's Healthy Cooking textbook. Now, I taught in the late 90s, so this book was probably current for that time. This passage is from the first page of my photocopy. It reads, quote, The average American diet overemphasizes foods high in saturated fats, particularly animal products such as meat and cheese, and processed and refined foods full of sweeteners, hydrogenated shortenings, sodium, and empty calories. Combined with a lack of dietary fiber and a sedentary lifestyle, such a diet contributes to high incidences of obesity, cancer, type 2 diabetes, atherosclerosis, stroke, heart disease, and other ailments, end quote. That's a tough word to say. That's mostly what we were all taught. Saturated fats were bad, and processed foods and sugar were also bad. That food pyramid, now the MyPlate scheme, those guidelines were intended to guide Americans toward healthy food choices. Accepting that is the goal, and the USDA's website reads, quote, the 2015 to 2020 Dietary Guidelines for Americans emphasizes the importance of an overall healthy eating pattern, end quote, there is a real big problem. Americans are getting less and less healthy. Food is fuel for the body. That's not news. It is also a key line of defense for disease prevention. That's also not news. What is news, maybe, is that the USDA plan of a one-size-fits-all approach to eating isn't working. It is missing the mark by a lot. Nina Teicholz, author of The Big Fat Surprise and executive director for the Nutrition Coalition website, notes that the guidelines have a far-reaching impact. She writes, quote, The guidelines exert extraordinary influence on American eating habits. The advice dispensed to each and every American, from doctors, nutritionists, dietitians, and other health professionals, invariably comes directly from the guidelines. Advice from professional associations, the American Medical Association, the American Diabetes Association, etc., also derives from the guidelines. Thus, even though you may know nothing about the guidelines, they reach you through your health professionals, end quote. The guidelines are also used to shape national school lunch programs. My daughter's elementary school, on the two-a-day cohort system because of COVID policies, brings home food after her second day of class every week. Included in those lunch bags are low-fat milk, fat-free chocolate milk, sweetened, of course, white bread sandwiches with processed American cheese slices, applesauce, sugar-filled snack bars, and some fresh produce. Sugar in a variety of forms is poison. If this school is similar to other schools, and I think it is, and they are creating meal plans from the guidelines, what are nursing homes and hospitals serving the weak 
and the compromised? It isn't a rhetorical question. In a 2017 press release, CDC Director Brenda Fitzgerald, MD, said, quote, more than a third of U.S. adults have prediabetes and the majority don't know it. Now, more than ever, we must step up our efforts to reduce the burden of this serious disease, end quote. A 2020 report from the CDC reads that in 2018, 34.2 million Americans of all ages were diabetic and another, quote, 7.3 million adults aged 18 years or older who met laboratory criteria for diabetes were not aware of or did not report having diabetes, end quote. That's bad. It gets worse. Another CDC website reads that, quote, approximately 88 million American adults, one in three, have prediabetes. What's more, more than 84% of the people with prediabetes don't know the habit, end quote. You want to talk about an epidemic. This is a problem. I know correlation isn't causation, but in the last 40 years, the numbers of Americans with diabetes or prediabetes has grown spectacularly. Barring pre-existing conditions or genetic issues, food is the number one contributing factor leading to diabetes. Plainly, the CDC knows this. So does the USDA know this. In a post entitled Critical Reviews in Food Service and Nutrition, this passage stands out. Quote, in 2000, the Dietary Guideline Advisory Committee reversed its previous recommendation and suggested that the recommendation to lower fat intake had perhaps been ill-advised and might actually have some potential for harm, end quote. The article then cites a passage from a 2020 report which reads, quote, The committee further held the concern that the previous priority given to a low-fat intake may lead people to believe that as long as fat intake is low, the diet will be entirely healthful. This belief could engender an overconsumption of total calories in the form of carbohydrate, resulting in the adverse metabolic consequences of high carbohydrate diets. Further, the possibility that overconsumption of carbohydrate may contribute to obesity cannot be ignored. The committee noted reports that an increasing prevalence of obesity in the United States has corresponded roughly with an absolute increase in carbohydrate consumption, end quote. No change was made in my plate recommendations. I searched some of the CDC pages about prediabetes. One success story of a man who overcame his poor lifestyle choices comments repeatedly about making healthy choices. Not once does the article mention a single food. Drink water, not soda, was as close as they got. 
The USDA, for their part, has equally nonspecific banal suggestions for managing and overcoming prediabetes and diabetes. The good news is diabetes and prediabetes can be reversed. Both the CDC and the USDA focus on calories. That's not wholly bad, but it is poor information. Calories from soda and donuts is not the same as calories from a ribeye and avocados. Even at the same number of calories, the nutritional value of those calories is wildly different, and the ingredients are different. The flour in the donut is sugar as far as your body is concerned. Insulin is needed to deal with that sugar, which then becomes fat. That fat from sugars has to go somewhere, and it is the job of insulin to put it somewhere. Now we kind of get to the egghead portion of the show. I've got bad news for you. I'm not an egghead. I find the details wonderfully interesting, but amazingly complex. The good news is I think I can make it at least comprehensible. Let's start with the macronutrients. There are three, fats, proteins, and carbs. I'm going to come back to these in a minute. Insulin is a hormone produced by the pancreas. Insulin's main job is regulating the amount of nutrients in the bloodstream, which means all three of those, fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Most people already know the term insulin when speaking about blood sugar. When we eat carbs... Our body breaks those down into glucose, the main source of energy for the cells. But the cells need help. The pancreas monitors the glucose levels and, when necessary, makes insulin. Insulin is bossy and tells the cells to pick up the glucose from your bloodstream, which lowers your blood sugar levels. A good balance is having just enough glucose in your bloodstream for the cells to hold. But Sometimes we have more glucose than the cells can use. There's extra glucose in the blood, and it has to go somewhere. So the insulin puts it in the liver cells, or the muscle cells, or more fat cells. The liver will distribute the glucose to the muscles and other organs as needed when blood sugar is low. When this system works, it works very well. When it doesn't work, is when we develop some problems. What happens when the cells no longer take up the glucose? What happens when the cells resist the glucose from the insulin? The pancreas makes more insulin. Think about Mr. Smith fighting Neo when he says, more. Well, the glucose has to go somewhere, so the pancreas makes more insulin. The liver and muscles get some, by force, and so do the fat cells. And that makes fatter fat cells. That extra glucose can also stay in the bloodstream, causing higher blood sugar. Now we are at the problem facing many Americans today. Too many carbs means too much glucose, which means, in many cases, too much insulin and too much fat. And the prescription from the government is, eat more grains. The body is really quite amazing. 
You can carry on with this process of managing more glucose than is needed for the efficient operation of the body, put it anywhere it will stay, and keep at that year after year after year. Then it doesn't do so well at that job that it did so well. Those issues usually show up when a person is overweight or obese, and this is a condition most common to lead to diabetes type 2. Now, I told you I'm not an egghead, and I certainly am not a biochemist, although I did ask one, come among us, to check my ideas here. The process is magnificently more complex and complicated than I've said. I asked him to review that last part for clarity, and he wrote back, quote, the only problem is that the amount of carbs consumed hasn't changed all that much, so you'd have to pin some combination of factors like unhealthy oils, processed foods, overeating from hyper-palatable foods, lack of physical activity, etc., to contributing to the growing inability of the population on average to maintain normal glucose levels, end quote. My main point was to illustrate that the problem of disease and poor health is not at all managed by the USDA and the MyPlate recommendations for grains and fruits and veggies. Of course, some whole foods are good. I would never say don't eat a fabulous ripe fresh peach. I would say never drink peach juice. I would also not say don't eat a banana or an apple, although the keto folks would give me crap about that. The problem isn't the whole foods. The problem is breakfast cereals and cereal snack bars and sandwich breads and processed meats and pasta and rice and grains and sugar, 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 which is in disguise in a thousand different ways. High fructose corn syrup and brown rice syrup and barley malt and evaporated cane juice and cider syrup and molasses and high maltose corn syrup are just some of the things you might find, even in combinations, on the back of the packets of foods on the grocery store shelves today. Buy a box or packet of something like that, and there's a good bet it's in there. The problem isn't necessarily that one packet. It's all of them. Every week, week after week, month after month, year after year. And you get the point. The best advice experts can give us is eat more of that. Hardly. A sound plan. This process of too much glucose, needing more insulin, and the fat cells growing is called insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is not a good condition. There is a converse to that, insulin sensitivity. Where insulin resistance is harmful, insulin sensitivity is beneficial. Insulin sensitivity is described on the CeciliaHealth.com blog as, quote, insulin sensitivity refers to how responsive your cells are to insulin. More specifically, the relationship between how much insulin needs to be produced in order to deposit a certain amount of glucose in the bloodstream. You are insulin sensitive if a small amount of insulin needs to be secreted to deposit a certain amount of glucose and insulin-resistant if a lot of insulin needs to be secreted to deposit the same amount of glucose. Improving insulin sensitivity 
can help you reduce insulin resistance and the risk of many diseases, including diabetes, end quote. When we wake up, our insulin sensitivity is highest. That is, insulin sensitivity is where we want it to be. If breakfast is a stack of flapjacks and maple syrup or steak and eggs, that makes a difference in what happens to the insulin levels and our blood sugar. You must choose wisely. I said before that not all calories are created equal. The nutritional label has percentages of components based on a set number of calories. But starting at calories is starting at the wrong end. Focusing on macronutrients, fat, protein, and carbs, is a better place to start thinking about what goes on your plate. Nina Teicholz's Nutrition Coalition has been a strong voice about nutrition, the guidelines, and the USDA's negligence in managing their affairs. The website Nutrition Coalition has been posting articles about the need for the guidelines to be revised. One key issue is the guidelines only apply to 40% of Americans. A post on the Nutrition Coalition website reads, quote, TNC remains concerned that this highly influential policy document addresses only a minority of Americans, excluding the 60% of the population, according to the CDC, diagnosed with one or more diet-related chronic disease. This narrow scope fails to meet the congressional statute that the DGA addressed the, quote, general public, end quote. The general public is now ill afflicted with chronic disease, and we have a national nutrition policy that ignores them, end quote, guidelines are good. Basic sound understanding of the function of the macronutrients is also good, and most Americans, it seems, lack even this basic knowledge. Of course, there is a government answer that more education is needed. I do agree that more education is needed, but not from the government. People will learn what is important for them to learn mostly, but they also need to know how to find it. Internet-based apps which offer sound information about macro and micronutrients, the sources for these nutrients, and function as a tracker already exist. Some of these apps rely on the Dietary Guidelines for Americans as their authority, so they aren't really a market solution because they're giving you the digital version of the wrong information to start with. So, like so many things, caveat emptor. What we eat, the guidelines for what are better choices, brings us back to the USDA and those dietary guidelines. The Nutrition Coalition has more posts about the guidelines and the problems with a one-size-fits-all approach to health and wellness, especially when 60% of the American population has food-related health issues such as heart diabetes, heart disease, some autoimmune diseases, obesity, but the implications of the guidelines exceeds just walkabout Americans. Those guidelines inform hospital food programs, the school lunch programs, nursing home menus, and meals for the military. Hospital food, jokes aside, is terrible. 
jello and fruit sauces and carbs galore served to patients who need that least of all. There is a correlation between the poor health of Americans and the pharmaceutical industry, but that's another episode. I realize that there is a flaw in the opening where I stated, imagine 40% of the shoes sold were size 10D. The proper opening would be, all shoes are size 10D, and if you want something else, you have to go find it. If the government one-size-fits-all approach to food is supposed to work, that's the same so-called reasoning that is applied to the government approach to nearly everything. If you are in the 60% of people for whom the dietary guidelines are not beneficial, nullify them and find a better source of guidance. Folks, let's take a minute out for a word from Jake and his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. This has been quite a bit on just insulin and carbs and the very carb-heavy recommendations from the dietary guidelines. What about the foods we've been told for so long are to be avoided lest we perish painfully? Foods such as fats and meat, fatty meat. Fat is well covered in episode 14, which is what an episode I did with Kyle on dietary sugar and dietary fat. I'll put a link to that on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 128. I do see that any talk about fat should also include a talk about cholesterol, but that really truly is an episode on itself. Fats, as it turns out, are necessary. Some vitamins are only soluble in fat. Fat makes up most of our brain matter is a component in cells and is used for cell growth, for hormone balance, and serves as a source of energy. To be sort of brief, there are two main groups of fats, saturated and unsaturated. We've been hammered with the idea that saturated fats are bad, bad, bad. We've also been pushed toward liquid at room temperature oils. In that group, there is the monounsaturated and the polyunsaturated. Monounsaturated is olive oil. Polyunsaturated is canola oil and those so-called vegetable oils. Those are the preferred oils of the dietary guidelines. Keep in mind, some of the most terrifying words known to man are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Being overweight is the phrase we use to describe our bodies. And while it may be correct, it doesn't state the problem plainly, so the goal is to lose weight. Well, I lost 10 pounds. The correct question is, 10 pounds of what? Just as there are three macronutrients which support our life, there are three aspects to our body's composition, muscle, bone, and fat. 
Now, there is some other stuff in there, but no one would ever say, I need to lose some arteries. When we say we are overweight, what that sentence means is we are overfat. No one ever tells a bodybuilder he's overweight. To lose the fat, which is a good thing to lose, we have to change what goes in the body. And everyone understands that idea. What you eat impacts your body fat. I'm going to repeat someone else's words that will make you angry. You might scream at the device you're listening to. You might demand that I'm wrong. You could get angry that such a thing is even considered. To lose body fat, you have to eat fat. But you have to eat the right fat. The so-called vegetable oils, the big favored fats of the dietary guidelines, are the wrong fats. Part of the problem is the fat you see right under the skin. There is also the fat you can't see. Fat in your muscles, in your livers, in your, well, livers, <laughs> we don't think I only have one, uh, and in the pancreas, which is not at all good for us to be toting around. To get rid of the fat, our bodies need to burn the stored energy in those fat cells. When we eat carbs, sugar, the body never gets the chance to do that since the insulin is putting all the sugar into the muscles and the fat cells and the liver and the pancreas for later use. A later use that never comes. Dr. Ken Berry posted a video on YouTube, which I'll link to. One point he makes about eating more fats is, quote, it lowers your insulin level in your bloodstream back to low normal, end quote. So let's review. More carbohydrates. Hey, pause. Let's clarify what carbohydrates we're talking about. If you're eating broccoli and cauliflower, um, those, those are carbs, but they're better carbs than potatoes and rice and noodles. The carbs we really want to avoid are anything starchy, anything, <laughs> pretty much anything white. Carrots have sugar, but this is, this is a line of quibbling we'll say for the keto folks. Let's review. More carbohydrates is more sugar, and that is more insulin. Lower insulin is good for us. Dr. Berry also offers this, quote, anytime your insulin is elevated, it's very hard to burn the fat that you've already stored on your body, end quote. Eating fat lowers your insulin, forces your body to use the stored energy, which is the fat you want to get rid of. Now, this has been a lot of information in a fairly short amount of time. What remains is still a lot more to learn. And I know just how difficult it is even considering an alternative idea to one that's been hammered in us since mostly we've been born. When I was in the eighth grade, kids like me got the husky jeans. Now, we shopped pennies, not Sears for clothes, but you get the idea. I am of Polish, Eastern European descent, and my body shows it. Carbs are so easy and so plentiful and they're so tasty and they're easy to eat. They're not a mess. 
with promises of whole grains and no high fructose corn syrup, it is easy to think that such packaging contains a healthy snack. And for 40% of you, that might be. But there's a snag in the stack. Thomas DeLar of Jigsaw gave a Science Saturday explanation of insulin and commented about a study in the journal Diabetics. He commented that the journal, quote, did a two-part study, and ultimately what they found over the course of two separate time periods was about 32 to 33% of all people are insulin-resistant, not necessarily just diabetics, but all people, end quote. Pause emphasis was mine. The dietary guidelines are supposed to be offering us eating suggestions for our wellness. One-third of the population as insulin-resistant is neglect, and they're not fulfilling that duty. For the 40% of the population who are not excluded by known health issues such as diabetes or heart disease, one-third of them are insulin-resistant, and the recommendations are keep eating grains. I've said this before because it remains important and sort of baffling to me. You might be overwhelmed by this amount of information. It is a lot. It was a lot to put together. What is best for us to eat is first not up to the government to determine. What is best for us nutritionally is not best addressed by a general practitioner doctor. I think they get nearly no nutritional education in med school and rely on what they're told to repeat. If that information was correct, most of us would not look as we do. There are good sources of information to find, but finding them is a challenge. The germ of this episode was a post on the Nutrition Coalition website that the USDA was behind in their congressional obligation to update the dietary guidelines for the period 2021 to 2025. This is the ninth revision, so it's been around for 45 years and it seems that it has been fulfilled. I did find it online. I'll put a link to it on the show notes page so you can read it. Read it. Pay attention to what is not said. Pay attention to what they don't tell you about, and that's kind of inf- <laughs> it's kind of important. It's kind of like the traditional government, look over here, look over here, shiny thing, and what the other hand is doing is far more relevant and important than what they're showing you. I think that's the case here. Even if you think keto is kukawako, the keto folks have some very valuable information on how fats improve health. I know, I get it. It sounds insane. It sounds crazy. But there's a growing body of evidence. There are more and more researchers entering into the realm to show us this information that we've been told, starting from you know, Ansel Keys in the 50s and 60s till now, wasn't right. And there's, send me an email. I, I have many more resources, but there's too much to put here. Go visit my friend Jimmy Clegg's page, Keto AF Ancestral and Fasting. Yes, I know, it sounds funny. Uh, that's a good website to start with, Facebook page to start with for really good information. and. Jimmy will happily 
Thanks, Jeremy. Send you some information or to other resources because there's a lot of folks out there. They're just going to be hard to find. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Fat is where it's at. Check out my affiliate link, FatWorks, to get fat, to eat fat, and to lose fat. They have an impressive selection of products to choose from, such as duck or goose fat, leaf lard, and beef tallow. Check out culinarylibertarian.com getfat to order your fat today. There are a few links today, and they will all be on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 128. I was sent a link to a different food pyramid, a low-carb pyramid. Breads are at the top. This is not for the keto folks who have their own plan, but for folks looking for ideas on what a low-carb, high-fat diet looks like. I'll put that link also on the show notes page. Please share this episode on your social media feeds. How can your friends benefit from better health? Also, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Thank you for your support. Continue that at culinarylibertarian.com support. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.